You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Holy smoke, 700 episodes, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I just... I, I have blinked and I'm here. I can't believe how long I've been doing this now when I when I go back and I look on paper or I look at a calendar and I say, holy cow, I've been doing this since 2014, right? So we're sitting here at about eight years of doing the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and man, it's been a absolutely wild ride, I guess, if you want to use that term. Um, we have interviewed a ton of people. I wish I had the number of individuals, unique individuals, different individuals who I have interviewed throughout the course of this, uh, of this podcast. And there are quite, you know, quite frankly, some amazing people who have been on this podcast. We've had everyone from the average Joe, you know, a, a lot of the a lot of the content that comes out of this podcast is is the regular guy who has found a way to get it done whether that's on public or on private while juggling family, while juggling uh careers, you know, uh pressure, you know, all the all the stuff that the regular guy has has to deal with in a given season, right? Um, but we've also talked to specialists, right? We've talked to biologists. We've talked to um, people who know a lot about not only the craft of hunting, but 
the biology side of things, the deer behavior side of things, you know, guys from, you know, the, uh, the National Deer Association. And then we've also talked to some of those people who are, I guess, what you would call industry guys, right? The, the quote unquote hunting celebrities and, and things like that. So we've really run the gamut here on this podcast throughout the years of just about talking to just about every corner of the nation, even people who hunt different species of deer over in different countries, right? And then you you add on top of that, man, 100 plus episodes of the uh, the Hunting Gear podcast. And man, I think I've done close to 900 different episodes throughout the uh, throughout the years. And, and there are a couple people really that I, I have to thank that have uh that got have gotten me to this place and uh first i i want to send a huge shout out to mark kenyon because if he never tapped me and asked me to be the co-host on the wired to hunt podcast all of those years ago uh, i don't know if i'd be sitting in the position that uh um that I'm in right now. So huge shout out to Mark. He, he got my mind open and he allowed me to say, Hey man, I like this and I want to do this too. Uh, take it in a little bit different direction. And, and, uh, then that's how the nine finger chronicles was started. I want to thank, uh, my buddy and I'll say new friend. We don't talk as much as we used to, but Dan Spano, uh, if, if, um, if you're listening to this man, thank you because without you, I wouldn't. I would also not be in the position that I am in today. Uh, I want to thank each and every person who has ever listened to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, because even the one listens, even the guys who have listened to every single episode, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hop on and listen to the content that I put out. And that helps me in multiple ways, man. I mean, hopefully the content that I'm providing on a, on a weekly basis has helped you throughout, you know, whether it's educated you, it's entertained you, uh, or maybe a mixture of both, but to everybody who's ever listened, thank you for, for your time, man. And and without you, I also wouldn't be in this position. And then really lastly, um, two, two more things. I want to thank anybody who's ever given me money, right? And, and has helped make this a career. Any, anybody who has ever sponsored or became partners with the Nine Finger Chronicles, the Hunting Gear Podcast, the uh, Sportsman's Empire Network now, um, I really do appreciate this i hope i'm doing your brands justice Uh, most of the companies that i work with a i've been working with like i've used their products already or we've uh, we've had really good you know connections really good communication really good partnership and a lot of these have turned into uh, like friendships and so there's the business side, but then there's something that goes a little deeper and that's what I really appreciate. And so I'm just going to send a huge shout out to Tethered. If you're looking for a good saddle, man, go check out Tethered, Wasp, Broadheads, some of the most genuine people in the hunting industry over there at Wasp, man. They make some excellent Broadheads and I'm a, I'm a lifer when it comes to Wasp. Excalibur Crossbows, if you're looking for a company that makes a crossbow that's been around for 30 years, man, go check out Excalibur. 
HuntStand, one of the best mobile apps with the most functionality. And I'm going to be getting into a little bit more detail about HuntStand in, in some upcoming episodes. So go check out HuntStand. Vortex Optics, again, a company that makes a superior product and like just cares about the end user. And you like a lot of these companies are all the same. And what I mean by that is superior customer service because they are participants in the activity of hunting or however they use their products, right? Like Vortex, they're the people who work there. They love to hunt. They love to, they love to shoot. And that's what makes Vortex so special. When you have passionate people, not only work at your brand, but do what the product is designed to do. They're just more educated in different scenarios. And so huge shout out to Vortex. Go check them out. And lastly, uh, the guys over at uh, Exodus Outdoor Gear, uh, their trail cameras, those guys are serious about trying to locate and shoot big deer. Uh, that's what they want to do. And so they have, they've designed a trail camera that reflects their lifestyle. And so uh, if you want a good trail camera, go over and check out ExodusOutdoorGear.com. So uh, that's, that is the thank yous to the brands who are currently repping me. Um, there's one brand that I I'm going to say thank you to, even though they don't rep me anymore. And that's Ripcord Arrow Rests. Now, since, since then Ripcord has sold to another company, but not like the product hasn't changed. It's a great product, but the people who originally started Ripcord again were a, a group of fantastic people. And so I like when he, when Keith, uh, the, one of the original owners or guys, that family heard me talk about my podcast, it was like, he just, he almost wanted to give me a check right there. The first time we met at the ATA show. Cause he liked that. And that, that to me means like, it's just a little reassurance that I'm doing something good enough to where people are like, they, they believe in what I'm doing and that makes me feel good about myself. So, uh, there's that lastly, um, I want to thank my family, most importantly, my family, my wife in particular, when I started the nine finger chronicles, uh, and the network, I had a full-time job, right? So when I started this, there was absolutely no money coming in, right? There was no money coming in and it, no money came in for, I want to say over a year, right? And so as I am in my back, in the back room, in the office, in my office, that all of this started in a closet, um, this is this is where the network started. This is where the Nine Finger Chronicles started. The Hunting Gear Podcast. It started in a closet, and I'd open the door. I'd pull my chair in, and on a homemade table of what looks like two by sixes here. That's where that's where this this all started, and so as I have this brand new family, right, babies in another room, I can remember getting uh, you know having bottles. There would be coffee cups, there would be baby bottles, and then beer cans all sitting on my desk because uh, that was that was the lifestyle that I was in at that point, right? I was in deep with babies, um, young young children, and so as I'm sitting there recording this podcast, growing this business, my wife was out in the living room, uh, out in out playing around with my 
uh, with my children, uh, keeping them quiet. <laughs> Uh, if you if you go back and listen to some of the early episodes of the Nine Finger Chronicles, you will hear kids screaming. You will hear my wife screaming. You will hear like doors slamming, toys being thrown, just like crazy shit going on in the background. Uh, even on some of the Wired to Hunt episodes as well, you can you can hear some of that going on in the background. And I didn't edit that out because that's reality, man. That was reality. So huge shout out to my wife for being patient with me. Um, and she's not a very patient person, straight up. I love her to death, uh, and she was patient enough with me to get me to where I'm at today, to an upstairs office, um, me being able su- to support the family with what uh, I've created here, and you know, building a brand uh, that has allowed me to do what I want, right? And I guess I should say thank you to some of the other people who took a risk on the network right the 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 sportsman's empire network now we've had to go through a little bit of a name change here and to all the people who i guess believed in my pitch saying hey i got this idea and i want to create a podcast network and so everybody on the network has uh you know has taken a risk and and said hey i want to give my content these guys could probably be doing it by themselves, but I want to give my content to the network and uh, it's worked. And so it's good to see an idea become a reality and this reality turn into something bigger than what I ever thought. Not only from just the individual Nine Finger Chronicles standpoint, but from a business standpoint as well. It's working and uh, now I just need to get the message out to more people really. Uh, and so that's where you guys step in. Huge, like um, uh, I thank you guys for sharing this content. Uh, I thank you guys for listening to this content, being part of this community that we've, that we've created. And I guess taking me serious because I'm not a very serious person uh, if you were to ask uh, those who know me uh, really know me so uh, thank you to everybody who's helped me get these 700 episodes out and so a while ago I put out a um, a message on uh, Instagram social media and I said who would you like to see on the 700th episode and there was a variety of different people And so I was thinking, man, I want to do something a little different, right? I'm going to get everybody, all those guys on throughout the summer, talk to Justin Zarr again, talk to Tony Peterson again, talk to Mark again, uh, talk to some specialists out there again, some real slayers. But I said, I want to go in a different direction. So today's episode is all about mental health, right? And it's something that in the past, I've struggled with. It's something that I still struggle with today. And I think in, in a way, we all struggle with the frustrations of life, right? Um, I went through, you know, I'm not going to say I'm some badass man and I, you know, I've handled all my problems, but I come like, like you hear me talk about, I come from a long line of guys who swallowed their emotions and only showed anger, right? Or, or like, frustration and and shit like that and so uh and and dealing with that myself throughout the years not only when it comes to raising children but you know just like going through life and so I used to be this really negative person Uh, I used to hate people I used to uh, 
um, not give people chances. I, I used to be very um, like in a corner, my back to the wall, just kind of question people and and put a lot of negative energy out into the world and until I kind of like I mentioned in this podcast kind of had a little bit of an awakening where man you waste so much energy it's not worth it so I tried to switch the game up I tried to live this positive lifestyle and it's hard sometimes especially the way the world is right and you have I have children who wear on me you know, being married is not easy. Having three kids is not easy. Uh, living in this negative world that we live in is not easy. So I made it a priority to be as positive as humanly possible and to spread that positivity to other people uh, through this podcast, through me just being around people, right? I try to be as positive as possible around my wife and my family in hopes that that positivity rubs off on them and it just makes them better people as well. And so um, I'm not perfect by any means, but it's something that I've, I've really wanted to focus on and try to do to uh, do my part, I guess, in, in a weird way, make the world a better place. And uh, sometimes that's hard as shit, man. Uh, like, I think, I don't want to say I've mastered, mastered this, but when things go bad, right, just taking a bite out of that shit sandwich and, and doing it with a smile on my face because there's, there's stuff in life you can't control. And I've had to learn that the hard way. Uh, so that's why I wanted to get uh, this, this episode out and put, take this 700th episode in a completely different direction and kind of just see, see what happened. And, and I, honestly, this episode turned out amazing. You guys are going to love it. Uh, I, I hope you do anyway take what you can away from it we even sprinkle in a little bit of deer hunting into this uh into this episode and uh man i had a i had a really good time with this podcast hopefully you guys enjoy it i've been rambling now for about 15 minutes just wanted to get those thank yous out of the way i say we just get into the episode and uh, we'll see you on the back end three two one all right, on the show with me today, Mr. Kevin Martone. Kevin, how we doing, man? I'm doing well, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're a Northeastern guy, right? I am, for okay. sure. Okay, where do you live out, out in the Northeast? I, I live in uh, Eastern Massachusetts uh, in a suburb about 20 miles uh, southwest of Boston. Okay. So in the Midwest, we have Chicago. And people as far as 45, 50 miles sometimes say they're part of Chicago if they live in one of those suburbs. Um, do you guys identify with Boston like that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's a, you know, most, most times if I'm especially traveling throughout the country, I'll say I'm from Boston. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, from a sports standpoint, are you, are you a diehard, uh, Red Sox fan? I am not. I live most of my life in New Jersey, so I actually stayed true to the Yankees, which okay. doesn't fly well here in Boston. Um, but I am also, I am a Bruins fan big time. So, okay. Uh, happy balance. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's probably pretty dangerous to wear Yankee gear in Boston. It is. I, I do. I do go low profile. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just a simple hat or a really small logo tee. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, all right. So now let's talk about what you do for a living. Cause this is going to transition into what we're going to ab- uh, be talking about today. 
Yeah. So it, it, my background is, is in mental health. Um, I worked my entire career in mental health. Um, uh, right now, I, I work in a, a nonprofit um, agency where we help mental health systems uh, across the country um, in states uh, improve their ability to serve people with, with mental illnesses and things like that. And uh, prior to that, I, I served as the state mental health commissioner in New Jersey uh, for several years where I basically oversaw the entire public mental health system. And then earlier in my career, I did a lot of direct clinical work working individually with people, you know, on mental health issues or in group therapies and things like that. So, uh, yeah, definitely that's been my, my focus in my career is really mental health. Right. And so it sounds to me you, you've been in it for several years and you've kind of done it all from the boots on the ground work to the policy work to the um, rules and regs work to doing what you're doing today. Um, throughout that time frame, you know, throughout this time frame, you were in the uh, the government and now you're, it sounds to me like you're in the private sector. Did you have a, do you have a favorite portion of what it is that you've done throughout the year in mental health? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I always say my, my work in the government job was probably the best and hardest job I've had by far. Um, it was like the best and worst job you could have. You can imagine overseeing an entire public system and having to report to the governor and the legislature and testifying in front of legislative hearings and things like that. But the, 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 um, the best times I think I had were working directly with people one-on-one, you know, really helping them sort of navigate their mental health issues, really helping them try to recover from mental illness and, and sort of achieve like mental wellness, really. Um, that was really the heart of the work. That's, that's sort of my core. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to, I want to dive into this mental health aspect and, and eventually we will tie it into hunting here, but I feel like mental wellness and mental illness and things like that need to be talked about, especially today after what happened out or down in Texas, um, yep. with that, that latest shooting. And then also just like life in general. And I'll be honest, 100%. I, I struggle with stressors of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just like probably most people do talking about like the stress of kids, the stress of finance, you know, the stress of jobs being married and how that can compound on a person and take its toll. Um, so like, what is the difference between mental wellness or a blip in someone's mental wellness and, and mental illness? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Dan. I mean, we, we all sort of fall on some level or continuum of mental health, right? Um, and it ebbs and flows depending on the things that we experience in our daily lives. Um, I know even you've talked a little bit recently about your wife's car accident and sort of the stress that that can put on, you know, you personally as her husband, but also even for her as, as sort of being in somewhat of a traumatic incident. Yeah. Um, and so we all sort of have that, that level of mental, mental health and mental wellness that we sort of fluctuate on. You know, a lot of times mental illness, when someone develops more of a diagnosable mental illness, it's when those symptoms um, are ex- experienced over an extended period of time. They impact a person's, you know, overall level of functioning, their quality of life, their ability to work, their ability to be in successful relationships and things like that. And that's when it sort of turns over the hump. What's, you know, and, and when you look at some of the statistics, and we don't have to dive into the weeds of this, but, you know, one in five people generally over the course of their lifetime. Um, will have some type of diagnosable mental health condition, even if that's somewhat of a mild anxiety or, or a bereavement up through, 
a major mental illness like depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. And, and even when you think about in, in, in that one, one in five number is something that's been longstanding number over time. When you look at what happened in the last couple of years with COVID and just some of the other events that are going on in the world, um, the, the data shows that those numbers have, have jumped you know, from 20% of the population to over 40% of the population will have some type of diagnosable mental health um, condition. And then when you look at um, overdoses, overdoses had skyrocketed in the last uh, two years during COVID. Suicide numbers, you know, have been trending up despite everything we're, we're learning about mental illness um, over the past several years. So, you know, there's a lot going on out there. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, everybody has a serious mental illness and it's going to experience those things. Um, but everybody, I think, learned even during COVID that being locked up in your apartment or your house and, and the stressors of work and all these things with your kids can really add stress to our lives and impact our lives. Right. So everybody's different, right? Your um, ability to manage stressful situations and uh, manage your your mental well-being and mine are probably different uh, along with everybody out there on an individual basis. How, how do we go about identifying that and, and how to handle that and, and come out on top of a, whether that's like a disruption in your life that causes stress and maybe some mental unbalancing um, or something that's like, uh, like you mentioned, a bereavement or a real, just like a shock to your life. Like, how do we go about handling that or identify someone who is struggling with that? Yeah. You know, I, I think what, what's important is, is we all experience stress at some level, right? And stress doesn't have to be bad. And in many respects, stress can be good um, because, and, and it can be healthy um, because what it does sometimes is it helps uh, push us to do things. It helps improve our game um, right. and function well, right? Um, and, and it's sort of identifying when that level of stress gets to be too much and it starts to negatively impact how we function you know, overall. Um, you know, and sometimes it's it's real. It's really comes down to I think, and you mentioned it in terms of we all experience it differently. It's I think first it's important to just it's really to try to be as in tune with yourself as you can be, and so knowing what what's that tipping point for you in your life when you know uh, work or family situations or hunting in the woods um, becomes too much in your life, um, and, and identifying those things, then you can start to employ some you know, tactics or skills, um, to help manage that stress better, you know, right. and sometimes it's basic stuff. Like it's, you know, your diet, your, you know, how, how well you're eating or not, you know, fatigue, how, how much you're working or, or taking on too much, you know, and, and trying to find that right balance. And when you sort of identify those different types of, of things in your life, that checklist of things, if you have that self-awareness about what your sort of your, your right balance is on stress, you can try to reel yourself in a little bit and get some control over it and try to get back into that sort of healthy side of stress. Yeah. So on the other side of that, right? So so we have things that make make us feel good, right? And and one of those for me is getting out and going hunting. I wish I could hunt as much as possible. You know, if I had when I was younger, I could go every day. Um, and you talk about this balance between this real world that we live in and what we really like to do, which 
can be in that real world, but it's almost like that graph, right? Where we have the two circles and the two circles merge. And then we have this little overlapping area, which is almost like is, is the most real that it gets, I guess, if, um, is what I'm trying to say here. So like a lot of people throw themselves into a, like a forced positive. Like I love hunting all the time. I'm going to hunt all the time, but the, the opposite side of the spectrum is it could be affecting family. It could be affecting, um, work or, or other responsibilities that a person has. How, how, how do people specifically balance their lives when they have these two driving forces? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a hard balance, right? I right. Mean, if you're, you're sort of passionate about hunting and addicted to hunting. I mean, you, you've talked about on your podcast. I, I sort of think about it. It's, it's a way of life. Yeah. Um, and trying to find that balance is hard. And, and sometimes it takes, you know, frankly, it takes my wife to reel me in a little bit, you know? Right. But uh, it, it's trying to put some perspective in. And, and, you know, I think some of it's a maturity thing, right? Yeah. I was in my teens or 20s. I mean, so I've been hunting for, I guess, about 37 years now. When I was in my teens and 20s, and I didn't have a lot of obligations. Like I was all in. I was in the woods all the time. And when you start to have kids and family, you have to find that right balance or else um, that's going to fall apart for you, you know, right. and those stressors are going to, um, not only impact your, the quality of your hunting and maybe your ultimate success in the woods, but then they're going to start to trickle out into those other life, those life things, your relationships, your job, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to get kind of specific here for a second. And it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Uh, is reflecting, like reflecting on who I am, where I came from. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I come from a line of men who are old school and Mm -hmm. and, and I'm talking about men specifically because 95% of my, the demographic that listens, if not more that listens to this podcast is men. Okay. So Midwest farmer, uh, farmer background. Both my grandparents were farmers and you want to talk about guys who never showed emotion unless it was anger. Right. Um, maybe my grandpa would bounce me on his knee every once in a while and joke around with me, but the word love was never used. Right. There was no Mm -hmm. real like hugs or kisses or that, that was, that was a woman's thing. Right. Uh Um, don't talk about their emotions you know, never showed emotions, you know, you, you know what I'm getting at this old school, hardcore man from the past. Yep. And so as I grow up, I, I see the, the benefits of that. And I see the negative aspects of that as well. Um, and, and I'll just give an example here is, um, lately I feel like, uh, like a lot depends on a man in a, in a relationship. Like for me, I feel like I am responsible for my family. I'm responsible for my children, my wife. So I'm responsible for all this outside happiness and, uh, and my happiness and my well-being comes last. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, la- like I'm just almost like, uh, if you're at a, at a, a buffet, my table gets called last to eat. Okay. <laughs> so, that can throw a lot of stressors on, on a man specifically um, when he's responsible for all of these things. And sometimes that can, can weigh on, on a man, like specifically for a man, how, how should a man handle that? 
kind of stress and handle being a guy that is like, I want, I want those responsibilities, but those responsibilities can be hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> there's a couple of different ways you can go with that, you know, and I want to turn this into a therapy session mm-hmm. for you, Dan, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, one, I mean, the, 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 frankly, the social worker in me says to try to sort of, you know, not own that full burden, right? Yeah. Um, you know, which, you know, I mean, that's a separate conversation. And there's a lot of cultural underpinnings and, and all that, like, like, I think you, you mentioned. Yep. Um, but, you know, if, if that's sort of your approach, or that's just sort of the nature of, of where you're at on things, you have to find some outlets, you know, yeah. um, you have to take care of yourself. You know, even if you're if you're a person who thinks of others first, and that's you know that's that's a, a good trait um, in many respects. If you don't have take some self care, um, you know you can lose that balance that we talked about. You know where those stressors start to come into your life and um, inter- interact with your relationships with your family and other things. And so you know it's really important to sort of you know have a self care um, you know plan for lack of a better word. Um, for you to be able to be, you know, happy in your life, help others that you want to make happy, happy, uh, and all those things. Yeah. So like I said, with, you know, this old school upbringing, right? Um, there is this, if you're, whether it's physically injured or, or mentally scarred or, or whatever yeah. it is, um, th- the motto of, dude, just tough it up, deal with it, mm-hmm. right? Don't be a puss type, type attitude. Is there, is there an, a problem with that or can the outcome of that also be a benefit? Well, right. I think there, I think it's both sides, right? If if that if that attitude um, really starts to interfere with things in your life, you know, you're starting to tip over the problem side of things, you know. But on the flip side, you know, there is something to be said for um, mental acuity, mental toughness, um, drive, you know, all of those things that. Um, will help you be successful in your family, in your relationships, in your work, in the field, you know? So there, there, there's the positive side of that too. And it's really, you know, for yourself trying to find what that healthy balance is. And, and if it tips either way at times, trying to sort of bring that in. Yeah. I, I also would, I'm going to ask a very vague question and I, I hope I'm just going to kind of let you run with it, how you feel mm-hmm. you should answer it. How does accountability play into the mental health side of things sure well i I think you know if you look at it on two levels one accountability to yourself and one accountability to others um there's different aspects of that um that support your mental well-being um you know if you think about yourself first in terms of being accountable to yourself you know a like if if you are um you know accountable to yourself meaning you know, you're taking good, good care of yourself physically, you know, good diet, you know, health wise, maybe exercise, maybe you get out in the woods to, to you know, do those things. You know, if you're accountable to yourself, um, you're going to function better um, as a person, right, um, individually and with others. And then there's that accountability to others, you know, so to the extent that others can rely on you, value, you know, what you bring to them, whether it's work, relationships and things like that. Um, you know, that helps them, but that also helps your own self-accountability that we just talked about, right? It helps instill confidence in you. It helps instill skills that, you know, you need to succeed in life um, and all of those things. So, you know, you have to think about that accountability on both levels. I think if you don't think about it on both levels, if you're only only accountable to yourself, 
You can imagine how things can go poorly in your life. And if you're only accountable to others and you're only thinking about others all the time and not taking care of yourself, you can also think about the toll that that could have on you psychologically, um, you know, from a stress perspective. Okay. I like how you answered that. Um, So, so let's, let's try to transition this a little bit into not necessarily hunting right away, but the outdoors in general. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll just give my, my experience. Um, there are times whenever that, uh, that I'm stressed and I'm like reaching a breaking point that where I get to a point where I call, I call it volcano dad. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have this mountain, it's just a mountain. It is, it's laying, it's a volcano, but it's laid dormant for a hundred years. Right. No smoke, no steam. And then, the stressors of the world start to come and it starts to steam a little bit, right? Still no explosion. It's still relatively safe. More stress. Oh, a little crack there. Okay. And then all of a sudden explosion, like the top Mm -hmm. comes off and it lays waste to all humanity. That is within however many mile in the world goes (laughs) dark for a period of time. And then the sun comes out, right? Like every once in a while it takes a lot, but every once in a while I'll hit that, hit that point. But knowing that is when I get outside, okay? I go for my walks. I go, you know, I'll go look at um, some birds through a binocular or or go work in my garden or um, go take a drive out in the country, whatever. And it brings me off this this proverbial ledge that I'm sitting on. Um, talk Talk to us a little bit about what your experiences are with how the outdoors just in general can change someone's, I guess, mental wellness. Yeah. It's, I mean, for me personally, uh, that is my therapy, yeah. right? Um, I similarly, you know, I, you know, it may, it may often always, you know, involve some hunting, whether it's scouting or things like that, but you know, at a very basic level, it's, it's getting outside and taking a walk around my property at night or, um, you know, going out and doing some landscaping or like you said, picking the garden, you know, we've, we've got some chickens in our, in our backyard that, that we raise. It's, you know, taking care of the chickens. I mean, it's, it's anything outdoors that I can do really helps ground me. Um, you know, oftentimes on Saturday mornings, you know, after a really busy week of work, maybe it's, if it's travel to another state, um, you know, first thing in the morning on Saturday mornings, particularly when it's not hunting season, I'm out there in the woods doing something, taking a walk you know, ultimately it probably starts me leading down the path of scouting and things like that, but it's, it's just getting outside to clear my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, do you have any, and I don't want to get too crazy into any kind of like scientific research, but is there any type of research that you could reference that shows what fresh air or just being outside in general, active outside can do to not only like your mind, but your body? Yeah, I think, yeah, there is. Right. And it, and it, it, it ultimately, you know, when you get into the technical side of things and it talk, you talk about the, you know, the, the hormones in your body. And when you get into stress-free environments, how it, it sort of relaxes those in your body, you know, but when you, there, there's been, you know, some, you know, research out there that will show, you know, Hey, you get outside, you know, you can sort of, you hear a calming, a quiet, you hear the, the, the noise, you know, of animals you hear, I always talk about the sound of silence, um, you know, and what that can do to help relax people. I mean, for other people, it's the gym or things like that. But for a lot of people, no matter what, you know, the outdoors 
um, can do that. Even if, you know, frankly, in, in like, you know, urban, suburban, eastern Massachusetts, where you have the city, you know, just getting outside sometimes, even if it's a little bit more of a busy environment, can really help ground people. Yeah. Yeah. It's most like it's a necessity in my life uh, at certain mm-hmm. points. Um, now, when we when we talk about hunting and, I, and I'm hunting in, in the outdoors when it comes to this are kind of the same thing for me. But when I go on my big trips, right, um, I, I go, let's just say for a week somewhere and I'm by myself or maybe with one other person. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm like my mind has to go through almost like a reset uh, at the beginning of the trip. It's in this state of it's almost like when you shoot your bow, right? If you're having a bad day, you go out, you shoot your bow and you're not thinking of anything else except your contact points, your like your anchor points, your yep. um, putting the the pin on the target, you know, just going through that process and you're not thinking about everything else because you really can't if you want to be successful shooting, you know, accurately, your bow accurately. So when yep. I go out on these big trips, I have this eight hour drive, let's say, and my mind is resetting in this eight hour drive. I get out there, I have things that I have to accomplish and my mind changes and it resets for a while, right? And then I come back home and I am a completely different person, I feel. Like I'm calm, I am... I have the most patience in the world. Even when my kids like haven't seen me in a while, they all pile up on me and they want to do things instantly and things like that. What, why is that? I mean, I describe it as it, you're giving your, you're, you're, you're giving your, your, your brain an opportunity to, to reset. Right. Yep. And that's what it is. I mean, you know, your brain, when you're awake or when you're sleeping, your brain is constantly working and it's proce- constantly processing information and things like that. But when you give it an opportunity to reset, whether it's taking a walk outdoors or the, the drive to a location or, or whatever, it, it, it gives you an opportunity to, 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 to relax and reset. That doesn't always happen if you don't manage the stress, right? So if you decided on that eight hour drive that you weren't gonna use that as time, as time to reset and that you allowed that stress just to continually overwhelm your brain, um, you, know, you, may not, you may not come out of it on the other end um, as positively as you are. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely an opportunity to reset. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So when we, when we talk about, uh, hunt, let's just, let's talk about hunting and, and hunting strategy for a second. Mm-hmm. I have accumulated this knowledge of where I'm at today and how I, how I hunt specifically from a strategy standpoint. And I'll just use whitetail specifically right now, you know, how to read terrain features, how to read sign, how to read deer behavior, you know, basically educating myself on how whitetails move through the landscape and how mature deer move through the landscape and, and how I target them and the, the whole approach. Right. Yep. And then every once in a while, a person will hit uh, an obstacle or adversity in this process right some people lose their minds i've done that in the past and just (laughs) spiral out of control and some people are able to take a breath recalculate and go again right is there like are there any tools or training methods that you can do 
to make that trend, like make that, make those obstacles smaller in scale. Like it's still an obstacle, but have the ability to manage that obstacle. Yeah. I, you know, part of that's going to be intrinsic to everybody. You know, they're going to have to develop their own thing. I mean, for me personally, you know, I think about it on a couple of different levels, sort of like, I think the way you described initially, there's sort of like the macro level of it for me in terms of, I just think about hunting all the time, right? It's, you know, like you said, scouting, reading maps on hunt stand or, you know, all that stuff to sort of pre- pre- prepare yourself at a macro level. And then there's sort of that micro level stuff. It's the shooting, it's the, you know, anchor points, it's all of those things. And so, you know, in my mind, I sort of try to think about how I, you know, am preparing myself throughout the year for that macro and micro level stuff. Um, it's, it's developing discipline. Sometimes that comes with age and maturity, right? I am right. much hunter than I am today than I was when I was 19. Right. Um, you know, part of it is knowing yourself. I, I, I'm somewhat competitive in nature. I grew up playing sports. I played a little bit of baseball in college. I sort of, I'm sort of competitive and I try to use that. You know, I, I think about rituals. I have some like rituals that I use in my routine, you know, to sort of help me through, you know, all of this right down, right down to the shot. All that leads to confidence. For me right and having that confidence when you're out there in a field that you know you're in the right spot and you're going to make the right shot when the opportunity you know presents itself um but it's it's also understanding you know like if some some obstacle comes up you know there might be an obstacle that's a big stressor in your life or maybe something as much as like you know what you've hunted 14 days during a rut and you're now you're starting to get fatigued you're losing your focus you're losing your discipline and things like that and it's trying to find that regrounding. I mean, at the end of the day, over time, I, I used to put so much pressure on myself when I was younger to, you know, be out in the woods. You had to be out in the woods every moment. You got to shoot the biggest deer and all those things. And over time through experience and I don't know, maybe age and wisdom, um, I've learned to sort of put it in perspective. At the end of the day, it's deer hunting. Right. And when I, if every year it still happens to me, I get, I get sucked into it during the rut and I'm like, you know, out there for many days and going through the grind and I start to hit that wall and I got to keep myself in check. And my wife has been really good over our marriage, you know, in terms of sort of also helping me to keep that in check when she knows I start to get cranky during the rut or, or whatever. Um, So it's also using other supports to help you sort of overcome that adversity too. It's the self-awareness, keeping that checklist, but it's also, you know, if you've got a support network, you know, whether it's your your wife or some of your hunting your hunting buddies that you know can sort of help you keep it in perspective. I think it's a it's a way to sort of navigate that uh, adversity, whether it's with a capital A adversity or you know small minor stuff, but nonetheless gets in the way. Yeah. All right. So this is a two part question. One: What is mental toughness to you, and is there a difference between mental toughness and confidence? Yeah. Um, I think there, um, I'll start the second part. I think there is a difference between confidence and, and mental toughness, you know, because you can be confident up until the point where you're not mentally tough anymore, you know, yeah. um, and, and you got to sort of, you know, you can be, you know, and if I, if I sort of translate that to, you know, hunting, you know, you got to be confident you know, longer than the, the, the three hour, you know, longer than the three hour sit that you're doing. Right. If you're, you know, if you think about it over the course of a season and that can be a real grind at times, you know, um, that confidence can wane and that's where the mental toughness starts to come in. You know, how can you stay focused 
continue that discipline, um, remain competitive when it gets really draining over the over the course of time. You know, I've, I've heard some of the like, yes, I think you ha- you know you had a professional golfer on recently in one of your one of your um, podcasts, yeah. And you know he, you know, and he was talking about the difference between like professional athletes versus you know folks who aren't professional athletes, for instance, right? Right. And those folks are the folks who. You know, they're confident, but they also keep that mental toughness, that discipline, dedication, commitment when the pressure gets really tough. They're able to to sort of have both the confidence and the mental toughness. Right, right. So I can train my body. Yep. Right. I can go out and I can do push-ups until my arms fail. Right. I can train my body. Um, A lot of that has to do with this mental toughness aspect. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you how do you become mentally tougher yeah i you know i mean for some people i think it's a, it's an innate trait right they've yeah. got it. they just have it right and that those are the people that always impress me it's like man i wish i could do that too <laughs> i had that too. yeah but a lot of it comes you know if you're gonna go some of those back to those basics that i was talking about in terms of preparation and practice and and, and rituals to really help um build that in i mean even when you think about you know like practicing right you know i've talked to a lot of the guys that i hunt with and and you know people will practice you know up until october 1st they'll shoot every day up until october 1st and then they won't they won't shoot an arrow until they get an opportunity in late november right right Um, and and that's a problem right and so you know it's you know when i think about that confidence mental mental toughness you know have you built up all of those skills, the preparation, the discipline, the practice and all of those things mentally so that, you know, you, you can retain that confidence and mental toughness, you know, deep into the season, you know, when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Rambo first blood? Oh yeah. Who has? <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's a, uh, um, the sheriff is talking to the general right and you know he was taught to ignore pain he'll eat stuff that makes a billy goat puke like i i just wish i had that mentality (laughs) right that that just ignore pain ignore and basically to ignore your environment and become hyper focused on the goal at hand right and that is is uh you know whatever your hunting goal is it's like hey i want to kill a big buck this year i want I want that focus. I wish I had that focus. Where do you mm-hmm. feel along this this path or this process, whether it's a lack of confidence, whether it's a, a lack of training, whether it's a lack of um, mental toughness, whatever the whatever the category is or, or the buzzword is, um, where do people typically lose their way? And if you want to reference hunting and, uh, go, you know, feel free to do that. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, for me, like if, if I, if I think about it through a hunting perspective, um, well, let me take a step back. I think, you know, everybody sort of comes at hunting in their own way. Right. And, you know, there's people who are new to hunting. They're happy to just see a deer or maybe get a shot at a doe. There's some people who are happy with shooting a spike for their, you know, their entire lives. And there are people who want to, you know, really focus on the bigger buck. And so it's, it's really just knowing yourself and setting your goals and also knowing, knowing where you are as a hunter. Right. Um, you know, me personally, I, I've been hunting for a long time and I've had the opportunity to shoot lots of deer and I try to, you know, think more about holding out for an older age deer these days. 
Um, and and that, that c comes with it lots of challenges, you know. Um, what happens for me, you know, as I get into the season is, or let me, let me go back in the beginning of the season. You know, I do all my scouting January, February, March, really trying to fine tune sets from last year and all those things. And that's sort of that macro level stuff that I just enjoy, but it also is part of my preparation for the year and building my confidence and everything. But when you get into the season, you know, um, stuff happens, things happen, but things, your plans change or they need to change. And, you know, I, I have to try to, you know, do that myself and make sure that I don't just get locked into my own sort of rut and, and not adapt to what's going on. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's trying to keep that focus, um, understanding when I'm losing that focus, um, and regrouping, you know, as the, as the course of the season goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I, there, every year is a little different for me. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I have these, let me see. Let me go pick a year. I'm going to go to, I think it was 19. Um, I had, I had one of those grinds and I had a, a single encounter with my number one buck who was an absolute giant who I had been following for multiple years. And he was one ridge over. I messed up. You know, I, I, I said to myself, ah, oh, he'll never come up this little ridge. Uh, so I sat up on the, one of the two bigger ridges on each side of that little one. Sure enough, he's on that little one. Right. So I start questioning my ability at this point. Eventually, I ended up shooting a deer that year. It wasn't the number one target buck, but I had, I was, I was close, right? I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I saw him and, um, you know, how, how, can, how do you suggest people turn a negative into a positive? And what I mean by that is instead of me going, I messed up, I should have set up here take that as a, uh, okay. Or uh, instead of, how about this? Instead of that glass half empty, become that glass half full guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's huge. That it's so huge in hunting. I mean, earlier in my hunting, you know, career, I put so much pressure on myself and when I messed up, I was, I was really brutal on myself, Yeah, you know? And, you know, over time I really had to think about, all right, what am I going to do to change that game to turn it into a positive, you know? And, and this, that, whether it's hunting or work life or personal life, you know, you have to, it, it kind of goes back to this self-awareness, taking care of your own mental wellness. Um, you, you have to learn from your mistakes. You can't put pressure on yourself to such a degree that it only, that it only increases that level of stress and only more negatively impacts your performance, right? Um, you know, and, and to me, when I was able to start doing that, learning from my mistakes, you know, not unduly putting pressure on myself or stress on myself, I started to see more success in the woods. I started to see bigger deer because I was starting to adapt, take, chan take chances, move things around. And I was enjoying hunting more, you know, um, which then translated back to, you know, feeling more relaxed at home and, and in a better state of mind to go to work and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So, um, we, we talk, <laughs> we talked a little bit about, you know, how, you know, my, I come from this, this group of, of men who are just like, don't talk about your emotions. Never say, I love yeah. you. You know, like yeah. they said, I love you on their wedding day or something like that. You know, like <laughs> that was the last time you ever heard from yeah. them. Like didn't don't cry at funerals type of guy. Yeah. And, and so we, we've talked about this 
how hard life used to be versus how, you know, depending on what generation, how easy it is today. And that made me think of social media, right? Sure. Everybody talks about the benefits of, of social media and things like that. But I also see some of the negative aspects of it. And, Mm -hmm. and so, and you can reference the, you know, maybe we'll call it deer shaming, or we'll talk a little bit about unrealistic expectations and things like that. Do you see a direct connection with um, a person's um, failing mental wellness and connection to social media? I mean, it's certainly a concern. And I think there's some research, you know, and growing research that supports that, right? Whether that's hunting or just sort of in our own personal lives. And particularly when you start to look at the younger generations, I have two daughters, one's a freshman in college and one's graduating high school this uh, next week, as a matter of fact. Um, it, it just puts so much pressure in, in unrealistic ex- expectations on people. You know, it's just not a, a real accurate uh, depiction of sort of life in general, you know, and when I think about it, honey, I mean, listen, I'll be the first to look through Instagram and be like, wow, I, I, I see all these bucks and, you know, how are these people getting all these opportunities of shooting these big deer and going all these places and things like that. And then I realize when I'm sort of in my own network of, of folks who are hunting, we're all sort of the same. We, we pretty much stay local and, you know, hunt modest sized deer and, and, and enjoy it. Um, it's trying to keep that in perspective, but those pressures are overwhelming because it's just it's in our faces 24 7 you know whether it's the social media stuff or the 24 7 news cycle and things yeah. like that it's frustrating and it and it, you know that does psychologically have an impact on us and the research shows that and and how we disentangle that going forward and try to keep perspective in our lives or our kids lives and things like that you know i don't know that we have the answers to that right now yeah yeah uh, I don't know, man. I just yeah. like, I, I am afraid because my, my daughter, she's nine now. Right. Yes. And so all she talks about is getting a phone. Oh, dad, when can I have a phone? When can I have a phone? And I'm like, if you have, if I had my way, you, you just won't ever get one until yep, you yep. move out of this house. Right. So her friends have the phones. And so that's, that's a bridge that we are in the process of crossing right now. Um, I I am 100% against her having any type of social media. Uh, I don't feel like a, a mind that young can handle and uh, decode what is like you, you put that, you put that in front of me, the same message in front of me. I, I call bullshit on it. Right. Yeah. Because I yeah. I've been through it. I know it, but at the same time um, my daughter and, and hundred percent, I can't control what they watch. I can go through the parent, you know, the, all the parental settings and things like that, but I still probably can't control mm-hmm. 100% of the content that comes through. And that's, that's my biggest turtle right now. So, uh, as a parent, that's something I, I am, I'm trying to deal with, but so in the past, right. I used to be like before the podcast, man, before yeah. like, like in my early, like I'm going to go maybe all the way up into my Mm thirties. I was less positive than what I am these days. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, I had more of a negative outlook on things. Um, I was full disclosure, man. I feel like I, back then I was even prejudiced against certain groups of people. Right. And so I had certain awakenings throughout my life that 
led me to be like, dude, these are just people trying to live just like I am. Or you're wasting so much energy being negative, putting out negative vibes instead of positive vibes. Because I've seen firsthand what a positive attitude can do. And and what I mean by that is, is be contagious and other people around you. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great observation. I've talked about this before, you know, whether it's social media causing it or part of it and, you know, but we're sort of as a, as a American culture, you know, we don't, we don't treat people well, you know, and, and we see that playing out in all these things, social media or, you know, the, the, the shooting that we saw yesterday in Texas and, and, and it's, you know, and when you sort of have a negative uh, mindset, um, you know, that bleeds into your other relationships and people that you, you interact with. And it just, you know, negativity begets negativity. Right. And, you know, and, and when we can have more of a positive framework, you know, again, it comes back to the, the, the self-awareness, our own mental wellness, right? We feel better. We function better. Our physical health gets better. Um, you know, uh, you know, when, when, when we're not doing well mentally or psychologically, you know, our body physically suffers from that. Right. Um, but it's also, you know, it's also just, you know, thinking about stepping beyond ourselves. We talked a little bit before about accountability to others, you know, Yeah. but that positivity and how you can sort of translate that because we, 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 as a society don't care, take care of each other well. Right. And so not going to predict like, you know, violence and all the negativity and things like that, but it has an impact It has an interrelation, you know, and we have to, we have to do a better job, you know, with that. Um, you know, and for me personally, you know, you know, I think it's a struggle. I think it's something we all struggle with. It boils back to, you know, if I can be positive in my life, you know, there's, there's literally psychologically, physiologically an impact to you. Um, but it just makes me feel better. Right. And I'm more productive as a person in general. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how right you are there. I mean, when I, when I sat down and it, it wasn't like a light switch, right. For me, it was a period of time where I just like sat down and was almost having conversations with myself. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like the, the devil angel on, Mm -hmm. on the shoulder. And, you know, it's just the, the voice that my internal voice was so negative and borderline hateful and, and things like that and, and jealous. Right. And then I had like these moments where it was just like almost a moment of clarity. And it was just like, dude, you're wasting so much time being an asshole that yeah. you're, you're hurting the, you know, you're, you're being an asshole out loud and don't get me wrong. I'm still an asshole, but right. it, 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 like I'm a positive asshole, I guess you could yeah. say. Um, so, so dude, like my friendships got stronger. I, I, I had more friendships. I connected more to people just on a different level and holding doors open for people and saying, thank you. And please, and, and, and just the manners and, and a lot of it had to do well, I was changed by that time. But what I see is that now rubbing off on my kids and my kids wanting to hold doors open for people and um, my kids being 
polite and things like that. And so we see this, this positive energy rub off on others, especially my loved ones. And it's, I'm, I'm such an advocate because it is so, it's such a powerful message, this kindness thing. And, and I don't know, man, I just want to, um, there's times where I get mad and there's times where I want to kick some ass, but I just have to take a step back and be like, is that the right thing to do? Trust me. There's times where I voice my opinions, but oh, yeah. yeah, but there's yeah, time. No, I mean, yeah. yeah that's, I mean, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you're not going to change You're you're human, right? Right. But you know, you think about that and even with kids, right? You think about their developing brains, right? And what they're absorbing and our influence as adults and parents on those kids and you know, how you want them to grow up and, and, and mature. And um, you know, that's really important. And, and it's keeping things in perspective, you know, whether it's like deer hunting or just negativity in general, you know, at the end of the day, I look at it as there, there may be a lot of things over the course of the day that sort of get the hair on the back of my neck to stand up, right? Yeah. A whole bunch of things. But at the end of the day, I try to keep in perspective, like I'm in a good space, like I'm healthy, I'm working, I get to do the things I enjoy, I've got a good family. And I try to sort of, you know, um, make sure I, I, I think about that on a daily basis and, and try to sort of, you know, push that positivity when I can. And it doesn't mean I'm always perfect. It certainly falls apart at times, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. One of the last things I kind of want to talk about here is the identification of someone who may be struggling with mental health, health or mental mm-hmm. illness, right? I feel like so often in this world, we have blinders on and we're not really in tune with our surroundings and the people in our surroundings. Mm-hmm. So, let's let's say what what is the best approach to connecting with someone or approaching someone who you see struggling with whether it's minor or major mental health issues or even something along the lines of a mental illness mm-hmm. yeah great question thanks for asking that um and part of it is right it's i mean at a basic level it's maybe having some good relationships with folks, right? And being able to have that conversation, but there's a lot of stigma around mental health and substance use disorders, right? And and people are, it sort of goes back to the sort of the manliness, toughen up type thing, um, but it's across it men and women, you know, there's just a lot of stigma. People don't wanna sort of admit that they may be struggling with things mentally, whether it's anxiety or depression or, or maybe even some psychosis. Um, and trying to normalize that, you know, and say, hey, it's okay. You know, your, your brain is part of your body, right? Just like if you're going to, you're having problems with your heart or your kidneys, or if you have diabetes, you know, it's okay to help get, you know, ask for help with it um, and have those conversations. And sometimes those conversations aren't just one-time conversations. It, it takes several conversations to help a person understand that it's okay to, to talk to someone. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't always mean you have to go talk to a psychiatrist, for instance. You know, a lot of times, particularly in rural, rural America, where we have pretty significant workforce shortages in mental health, shortages of psychi- psychiatrists and social workers. A lot of times your primary care doctors are the first line of, of defense, right? And it's, it's having a conversation with them about how you're feeling. Um, and they then may, you know, continue that conversation and help refer you on to the type of support that you may need. And sometimes it's you know, some basic support. Sometimes it's maybe a little more intensive support with a, with a doctor to, to help you with medications or things like that. But, yeah. you know, when, when I rattled off some of those statistics in the beginning of the, of the podcast, um, a lot of people in the country are affected by mental illness or mental health problems directly. And then you think about all the family members who 
you know, um, and friends who are involved with people who have a mental health condition. Um, it mental health is part of every single person's life in this yeah. country, right? And so, to the extent that we can really help support that, um, and in in anywhere in the country, even in rural areas, you know, there are locally, you know, places to call. There's even a new national hotline that's starting um, actually in July of this year um, as a replacement to not necessarily a replacement, but too often what do we know happens with people with serious mental illnesses is police are the first line of defense, yeah. right? Yeah. And so now it's it's really trying to shift that away from law enforcement to the mental health system. And so rather than calling 911, there's a new 988 national crisis hotline that's starting in July that people can call for behavioral health support and referrals versus calling 911 for an emergency, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um man, I know a couple families that really would have benefited from something like that, you know, before it was too late, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and, and, and just kind of another experience here about the power of just talking to somebody about mm -hmm. like, I, I was that kid who my parents went through a divorce when I was like in second, third grade. And it, it had a big impact on me to the point where I didn't want to go to school. I would get, mm -hmm. I would get physically sick and throw up because I never talked about my problems, uh, in, inside I was struggling. Um, and finally, uh, I had two really good teachers that were along the way that helped me out quite a bit just from, just from talking about it. And it, yeah. it pretty much solved the problem. So, um, I don't know where I was necessarily going <laughs> with that other than it, it, just talking to someone can help having coffee with a friend, you know, that's a, a, a two way street, you know, it can help you and it can help somebody else. Right. It's yeah. It's, yeah. it just supports and tap. And a lot of it's tapping into your natural supports. Like you said, friends and things like that, Yeah. you know, and one, and just going forward. Right. I mean, you think about COVID's impact on kids, you know, yeah. um, you know, we've got a lot to look forward to and, and be concerned about with the impact of that on kids over the next several years. But just back to the earlier point, like, you know, Sometimes it's about getting mental health, you know, help, but sometimes it's like you just said, getting outdoors, right? And if there's one yeah. thing we learned during COVID was when you couldn't do anything else, get outdoors, you yeah. know, that's yeah. therapeutic in and of itself. That's a fact. Well, I tell you what, man, I'm going to have to have you back on the podcast because you're doing some other really cool things uh, with your life. And I want to talk about that. You're, you know, you're a, a hunter as well. We didn't really get into a lot of that today, but uh, you know, you're managing some, some properties and I want to talk about that. So there's going to definitely have to be a part two, maybe even a part three of this conversation. And first off, thank you for taking time out of your day to, uh, to, to come on here and talk about a topic that probably doesn't get talked about enough in, in the circles that I live in. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Dan. Um, it, it's a nice angle and uh, hopefully it helps some people. And, you know, sir, I would love to come on again. And certainly, uh, you know, when you get into the season and, and you're starting to hit a little bit of stress and rut and you need to reach out and, and get a little tune up, give me a call. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. I, I love it. I got, now I got a little, a mini therapist on uh, speed dial. There you go. <laughs> And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Excalibur, Hunt Stand, Vortex, and Exodus. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. If you really like the Nine Finger Chronicles, man, please go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and give it a five-star review. Let everybody else know 
that you enjoy this content, whether it's from an educational standpoint, whether it's from an entertainment standpoint and, uh, you know, share, share. So uh, thank you very much. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Facebook, that kind of stuff. And uh, man, if you want to be on this podcast, I pretty much interview anybody anytime. So hit me up. Good luck this upcoming season. Stay in that right mindset. And I think life can be much easier than it is. Uh, Good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.